This is Strange Assembly, episode 116, Plugged In. Well, Fantasy Flight is continuing their organized play march with the Netrunner LCG, and this fall that is bringing us the Plugged In Tour which luckily for uh, those of us on this podcast, they did add an Atlanta location. So on October 28th, if you're in the Atlanta area, you should be able to meet uh, J. Earl. Hey. Mike Cook. Yep. And myself, Chris Stevenson. You are listening to Strange Assembly, your tabletop gaming podcast. And as you could already tell, this is going to be a Netrunner episode. I like how you gave them all the wrong dates so we won't have any actual competition. <laughs> I only realized the other day that that's a Sunday. Yes. It's the 27th, which is a Sunday, yes. Oh, is uh, it? Yeah, it's in, yeah, it's in two it's weeks. It's two weeks from today. Oh, it's the 27th. And yes. I, I thought you were making a joke about how, me giving them the wrong date. No, I was... I'm actually was giving also, them the wrong date. Yes. So, before we talk about the, uh, the the game as it's being played right now, guys, the choices are to choose between uh, Laramie Fisk for the Criminals or the Collective for the Shapers. I imagine that everyone has looked at them by now. What do you guys think about those, and which one uh, do you think you're going to vote for? I will definitely vote for the Criminal, for Laramie Fisk. I haven't really decided who I'm voting for. The primary argument, as far as I can seem to be, is people will say, vote for Laramie Fisk because the collective is broken good. Yes, as always, people vote against rather than voting for. Well, I could vote against. I saw, I I don't remember the exact quote, but I saw probably the best argument in the world, uh, I thought, for voting against Laramie Fisk, which was that I'd rather shoot myself than vote for a dude with a soul patch. But Like Jinkies. I don't know, maybe there will be a power level issue with the Collective, but the Collective seems more interesting as a flavor concept, and yeah, Laramie Fisk, I'm like, well, it's like another punk dude. Where's Scooby-Doo? No. No, he's way too sartorially put together to be Shaggy. (laughs) I'm sorry. Shaggy never spent that long doing his hair in the morning. Trust Fair me. enough. Uh, <laughs> I'm glad you're an expert on Shaggy's hairstyle. Oh, this, this is anime Shaggy. You can tell by the hairstyle. <laughs> but I, I don't know. So maybe that says something about where I come from as a the gamer these days. But yeah, I look at the two of them. I'm like, well, flavor-wise of these characters, I like the collective better. So I guess I'll just rely on. on FFG to balance. Come on, Chris. It. Resistance is futile. I mean, I, I like both of them as, well, I don't mean, Laramie Fisk, you're going to have to put something other than that. I mean, I actually, I kind of like his yellow color scheme, but other than that, there's really not much to go on, whereas this is three people, so that's inherently different. I just like the research paper sign-off, too. Williams, Wu, et al. Yeah, sucks to be that third guy. <laughs> yeah. That's you. That third guy is you. Oh, I'm I'm at all. Well, I'm... Stevenson Cook at all. I... <laughs> 
So let's see. So proportion-wise, Fantasy Flight has put up relatively full information on six of the tournaments so far. I believe three Chicagoland tournaments, two New England tournaments, and the Snakes and Lattes tournament in New Hampshire. Now, they did not put up the precise numbers, so but they did put up percentage-wise how the fields broke down, so we can at least average those out. I mean, if if for those of you who have been on the Strange Assembly website and have seen me do the... Chris is a stats addict. Yeah, the, the L5R stats, I usually like a little bit more data than that, so I'd want to just like add up the total number of Anarchs and divide it rather than split place by place. But the... But both of them. On the runner side, speaking of Anarchs, there aren't going to be very many at, at your tournament. I think it topped at 16%. That is correct. Topped at 16, average was 14, and it bottomed at 11. The criminals bottomed at 31, topped at 46%. The average percentage of the field has been 37. And shapers bottomed at, I think, 43 and topped at 54 and have overall been 49% of the field. So, yeah, I mean, the biggest thing that stands out there is... You're going to see shapers. That's not a lot of Anarchs. Yeah. Yeah, you have 28 people show up at your tournament. That's four Anarch players, give or take. There's been more fluctuation, it feels like, on the corp side, and nobody who is just not showing up at all, like, not at all, that's an exaggeration, I guess, but much less attendance like the, the Anarchs. HB is running at 27% of the field overall. And that's fluctuated from 21 to, uh, I think, 32. Jinteki has been the lowest attendance at 22% of the field. And that has gone from 14 to 32, which is is quite the spread. NBN has been 28% of the field, going from 18 to 42. And Wayland has been 24% of the field, going from 13 to 27. So... Like I said, a lot more variance, it seemed like, in the the corpse. 18 to 42 is a gigantic yeah. difference. Yeah. It's hard to say with that. I mean, you don't have the attendance numbers. True. So that's easy to have that sort of fluctuation if your attendance numbers are... Are, are small, but... Are I mean, smaller like that. I don't, I don't know. The, the 42% was Albany. I can't imagine that was a small one. I don't really know how big big is and small small is here. I mean, I right. if I sat down and ran the uh, right in the the Atlanta Cote for L5R and I had 25 people show up, that would be a disaster. Whereas I, how many people got? Do you guys think we'll have in Atlanta? I would guess between 40 to 60. Well, that'd be a lot more than the regional. Yeah, well, I mean, maybe I'm wrong, but the regionals were a lot easier to come by than this plugged-in tour. Like, this right, plugged-in yeah. tour is the one for the entire Southeast, basically, other than, like, Texas. Yeah, yeah, there wasn't even going to be that. I mean, everybody from Florida, this is by far their closest one. Yeah, and this has the Fantasy Flight guys attending it, and... Yep. Uh, we'll see, but, uh... So, now, the winners of the tournament, for what it's... It, it's always kind of interesting looking at Netrunner and talking about like what deck won the tournament, right? Because it isn't a deck that won the tournament. You Right, a lot of it's play. Well, partially you just have two of them yeah. as well. I'm not saying they're right, but there's a reasonable number of people who have said, you know, 
if you go, oh, well, but Jinteki won Gen Con, they'll be like, no, Catman won Gen Con. <laughs> Jinteki right. was just sitting there. But on the other hand, surely there were other Catman decks, right? You Maybe you could say that about the final match, or but those decks did have to make their way through the whole the whole day. And I apologize to anybody's uh, name that I'm butchering. Let's see. Philip Dumala won the Manchester one with, uh, it seemed like a good stuff Gabe deck and a, a non-tagging and bagging NBN deck. Yeah. Albany's won by Peter Hodges with a, a noise mill deck with heavy, I say noise mill like there's some other kind of noise deck. Mm. With heavy Crypsis for its uh, runner suite, and then Wayland tag and bag. Cambridge was won by Alex Knoll with Kate uh, with single breaker suites with Atmed and Crypsis and some other things, and then Wayland tag and bag. Niles, which is Chicago Land, was won by Travis Chance with a, an Exile Shaper recycling deck and a non tag and bag Wayland. The other Chicago was won by Rob Wiley with a Kate, Femme Fatale, and Darwin breaker suite and doing the recycling thing, and then HB. And the Snakes and Lattes in Toronto was won by Kaiwen Zhang with, uh, it looked like a Good Stuff good stuff Andromeda and a, a Wayland tag and bag. So, again, I mean, you don't necessarily know what is going on with the field as a whole, but seeing... Be, be expected to be nuked from orbit. If you're, when you're running. Well, yes. That's right. I mean, you were saying that at Gen Con. Like, you have to run Plascrete Carapace to some extent. At the very least, you have to be aware of Tag and Bag and how to play against it. Yeah. Because you have to play differently for Tag and Bag versus non-Tag and Bag. Yeah, and I've actually seen it suggested that... The reason, a big reason to play tag and bag as the corp is not even necessarily that it's that great, but if you're of the the mindset that, especially once you get into good players, the runner just wins way more than the corp does, then you may as well play your high variance flatline corp deck anyway. If you can just flatline them one out of three times, then hey, that's good enough. Except, of course, that's probably not really good enough. Not in a given tournament, but... Right. Well, you get into the, the theory of the three phases of the game and how the runner dominates phase three and, especially with single breaker, gets into phase three so quickly. And for that, tagging bag doesn't really care that much about the phases. It just nukes you from orbit as soon as you've got enough credits built up. So in that way, you're sort of bypassing the strength of the single breaker decks. Yeah, and there is a lot of single breaker yeah. going on. I mean, man, <laughs> especially if you want to bypass uh, centuries, man. I kind of I was looking over the decks and being like, what what is the ice that people run? Of that ice, what is the stuff that really scares you? What are your icebreakers you have available? And and maybe, obviously, an awful lot of the scary, scary stuff is sentries. Well, yeah, I mean, that's what sentries do. That's what do. sentries do. The other two just stop you. But then if you go outside of those single breaker things, it's a really shallow pool to break sentries. 
it feels like the best Century Breaker is is Femme, and that kind of lends itself to. That's not a single breaker, but it it goes that way. Oh, argument possibly also for Fairy, just depending on what you want. It, yeah, yeah. Well, Fairies. Well, and that's sort of the thing is Century Breakers aren't that efficient. Uh, yeah, well, and and yeah, Fairy is Fairy is super efficient, but does not stick around. Right, but in in the world of I get to install this in the middle of my run, that's much less of a problem. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. I guess it feels like fairy sometimes can lend itself to to single breaker. Although you do have the opposite side of of single breaker. The like I said, there was an exile deck that won and a Kate deck that won that both were doing a lot of the shaper recycling things, but the Exile deck that won had just a whole mess of one-shots, of one-shot ice that it could use, that it could tutor up with self-modifying code, that it could bring back with clone ships. So it had, you know, one Corroder, one Parasite, one Data Sucker, one Nerve Agent, one Yogg, one Crescentus, one Fairy, one Atman, one Cyber Cipher. And was still, it can also tutor with Test Run. Yes, yes, and he still had Test Run. When he actually had Freelance Coding Contract, which is a card I usually look at and go like, ugh, but he's just like, got so many programs, I'm just going to blow them all up and then bring them back with uh, Scavenge and Clone Ship. Exile and uh, Andy are the two that can really run Freelance, I feel like, successfully. Yeah, yeah. I mean, with that deck list of like all these random one-of programs, do you think he started with Professor and just switched over to Exile at some point and forgot to add second copies? No. Uh, that's what I was going to say. It feels more like this is what they wanted the Professor to be. Right. <laughs> well, that that may be what they wanted the Professor to be, but I would bet that that is not what... The only things that he has over, he, he couldn't... No, actually, he could have that stem hack, and he's, then he's only one Femme Fatale over. Otherwise, he can. Act, he, this is a legal prof deck. Not saying that that's how it started, but yeah, I don't. I maybe I I missed that. I don't read every single post on BGG, but but Travis posts on that was Travis Chance's deck, and he posts on BGG with his stuff. So you can actually go on on Board Game Geek and in the Netrunner forums and and see him talking about that. A couple people have the Philip uh, Dumala who won the Manchester Cote. He and the guy who got second place there are on the Netronomicon podcast, and they also have posted their decks and talked about them. It's like, look, we're a month and a half into the plugged-in tour, and there's already more people posting analysis of their deck lists than there will be for like an entire year of L5R. Thank you, L5R close-minded attitude about There's more posting of deck lists by the company than there is for the entirety of L5R. <laughs> <laughs> that is a slight exaggeration, but yes, basically. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, well, I, I think that but that also kind of goes back into the factionalism, well, specifically of the websites, because I think a lot of times those decks do get talked about, but they get talked about on their own websites. Like, the, right, it's the, not like the person who wants with Crane's website... Right, the person who wins with Crane is going to go on the Crane boards or on the Lion boards or who, you know, is going to, the matching boards and talk about it. No, I mean, I, I exaggerate. I, I mean, we're, we're exaggerating. But, uh, but yes, there's definitely a, and of course, 
The people who are listening to this don't care because they want to hear about Netrunner stuff, not us griping about something for L5R, or at least one presumes. So let me ask you about one specific card this year. What do you guys think about indexing? Now, I'm not really a fan of indexing. I guess the, the, the role that it is found as a function is just I indexing your R&D off of one run, and then I do a second run and snatch the, or second or third or whatever, and snatch the agendas that I just put at the top of the deck. And I guess I, I liked it less than most people did to begin with, and almost everyone has pulled it out of the decks because of Jackson Howard and the fact that he can just reshuffle your deck. But Phillips' deck from the Manchester one, his Good Stuff Gabe deck, was actually going out of faction for three indexings. What do you guys think about that? I have not really had that much success with indexing, so I don't know. Maybe I just have not utilized it properly. I, I feel like it's one of those cards that you can definitely do really clever and awesome things with, but you can also be like, I index! Oh, look, I find four pieces of ice and uh, an asset. I don't have anything to do here. Well, but that so. still gives you an amazing amount of information. That's true. That, that lets you know for five draws, I don't can bother go focus on, right. I can yeah. focus on other things. I mean, information is gigantic in this game. Right, and that's true. I mean, to my mind, that's the big advantage of it is just getting a peek at the next five cards that are coming, not necessarily the order of them. Though that's a nice benefit too of knowing when you should go at R and D and when you shouldn't. I think the the main problem I have with indexing, and I like it out of Faction and Criminal, is that R&D is one of the hardest targets in the game, because that's where most corp decks want to put their ice, for many reasons. And so, for Criminal, that shifts somewhat over to HQ, so R&D becomes a softer target. But, yeah, generally speaking, getting into R&D twice in one turn is not going to happen except early game. We're just going to go back. Yeah, Travis, I think Travis's decks are really, you know, they're creatives. I mean, I it, the actual Wayland, to go with that X-File, he had the actual Wayland not tag and bag. And I usually look at Wayland and be like, so I'm playing this faction because of Scorched Earth, right? No, they also uh, have Amazing Economy. And in fact, one of the reasons that I stopped playing Wizard is because Wayland can run an economy on no assets, which makes Wizard worthless. And, and he was, in fact, running a, a no-asset economy. Yeah, green level clearance, beanstalk royalties, hedge fund. Does o- oversight economy, that counts as as, <laughs> as, as economy too, right? <laughs> well, don't forget, too, that uh, uh, a Wizard did make top eight at one of these. I'm not saying Arch Wizard's bad. I think Wizard is pretty strong. I'm saying I personally went off of Wizard for that reason. Yeah, so is there any way to take advantage of of what we know about the meta? I mean, I think obviously the first thing is we've already talked about is, oh, yeah, be prepared to have there be, be Wayland decks that are trying to blow you up. Well, decks in general that are trying to blow you up. Well, yeah, but Wayland... Wayland will want to blow you up. NBN might want to blow you up. 
Jinteki will pew pew you in their own special way. <laughs> yes. I, I'm well. The first thing I'm noticing is that there's a lot more archer than honestly I was expecting. I guess that's possibly you know partially because of the um, because the tag and bag doesn't as much care about scoring agendas. Right. Uh, but I noticed that the uh, the non tag and bag also was running it. Oh, I think he was running the oversight as well. So He's running oversight line. and priority rack. So true. Not only is Oversight AI in the Whale Index, but you also see Oversight AI show up out of faction. I Yes. Yeah, you, you see that show up out of faction. There's Chum showing up out of faction. That, that I found was kind of surprising. Like Chum's pretty good. The problem for it with Jinteki is there's not a huge amount of ice to put behind Chum. Well, Chum... Data mine! Data mine! <laughs> Oh, uh, Chum apparently works extremely well for the um, the click break ice. Uh, yeah, yeah, for the HB. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know. My favorite is still to put it in front of a pop-up window. It's, it, it is one of those things where it's like, it's partially a threat. It's like, okay, is it really going to be worth breaking this? And then, you know, what am I potentially going to raise next? Because it's enough damage. Even if it doesn't kill you, it could significantly slow you down. Oh yeah, Chum in front of a face down will just scare so many runners. You can have nothing behind it, and just that threat will just psychologically keep so many people out. So, you can see that there's a lot of potential, if it wasn't obvious already, for Shaper recycling, but I don't know that there's a lot that you can do as the Corp to stop that. No, I mean, the Corp really does feel like it's just... Um, about the biggest thing you can do is maybe run Flare because you want to get rid of hardware. If you want to run Tag and Bag, maybe? I, I don't know. You did see a little bit of Flare running around, even out of faction. So I, I think that that is something that, that people have done. So you're not wrong about that. But, but I mean, it's still, there's very limited things that the Corp can do, other than Tag and Bag, obviously. There's only so many options you have of actually doing something to the runner. I mean, obviously, you can tag to get rid of assets. You can tag to do closed accounts. You can tag to do Scorched Earth. And there's the NBN one, which trashes a resource. But yeah. uh, other than that, you really kind of have to change your plan based on what the runner's doing to you rather than trying to get the runner to change his plan based on what you're doing. I mean, he's going to do that anyways. He's going to automatically adjust anyways. I mean, but that, that's really the game, is you have to constantly keep trying to adjust to each other. The, the murder just tends to be the more nimble at it. Yeah, so I looked at the sort of things that were going out of faction. I'm not sure how much there is to, to learn from that. I mean, on the corpse side, you see a lot of, oh, shock, Jackson Howard going mm. out of faction. You see the obvious, like, green level clearance in Wayland deck. And <gasps> Roto Turret, yeah, Roto Turret in non-HB decks. Tollbooth here and there, Oversight A, Ice Wall, Archer, you know, Sea Source. I, I don't know how much there. I, I, I successful demonstration. I I think has gotten a a sizable amount of out of faction play. I think that was the most notable thing. Not that that was tremendously surprising, but that it wasn't sort of like obvious. I guess. Similarly, on the on the runner side. There's still Shaper card draw going out of faction. 
the usual suspects for well the the usual suspects for icebreakers coming over and then also the stuff that combos with atmen and the resurrection cards so parasite and and data sucker because that's a cute thing you can do right if you have parasite on an ice and then you data sucker you, if you bring in the parasite and or the data sucker in the middle of the run and then data sucker the ice strength down to zero so the parasite kills it one of my favorites yes uh is fun mm-hmm. bastion is everywhere but it's it's sort of like you, it kind of goes under the radar because it doesn't kill you when you run into it so do you guys uh, i I'll, I'll just say right now i don't know what i'm gonna do but i mean do you guys have you focused in on what you think you're gonna play for the the plugged in event here no, oh, I'm actually going to be uh, cracking down on the next... I, I don't expect to do, like, top anything. I just want to do as well as I can. And I've been so scattershot with so much stuff that's come around. I'm actually going to be focusing on figuring out what exactly I want to play. I'm probably just going to net deck some stuff, try and figure out what I can of the decks and change. I've got a Kate Atman deck that has done okay for me, but I, I need to make some tweaks to it. Yeah, I'm, I'm probably going to be stubborn slash lazy and... Stick with my current noise, world is yours, loadout. Since so much of this game is really being able to read your opponent and read the board, playing something you're familiar with, as long as it's working okay, and as long as you've got decent meta choices, should be fine. I mean, I feel like that's what most of the field is doing. Yeah, I mean, I, I generally feel that it's better to play the same deck a lot and be familiar with it, rather than just night before net deck yourself up something. I'm not Trevor. I, I can't do that. Yeah, if I was going to net deck something up, or not that you really have to net deck to realize what to put in, in this sort of thing, I... Yeah, I guess Wayland Tagenbag seems like the I mean the default thing to do on the corpse side, but I gotta tell you, I, I don't actually like <laughs> playing Tagenbag. It's... Sort of like that's that's like that's not the point of Netrunner. Aren't I supposed to have some sort of back and forth with the runner here, not just like draw a bunch of cards and then nuke them from orbit? Right. That's that's part of my stubbornly sticking with my NBN speed deck. Yeah. And that that is reasonable. If you if you sit down and you take your your pile of Netrunner cards, or if you're like me, your anal retentively bindered and sorted <laughs> set of Netrunner cards, and and you just go through them from scratch one at a time and be like where are the the strong cards i'll tell you when you when you go through or at least when i go through the corpse side it's hb and an nbn both have an awful lot of just great stuff what are some good upgrades San San is fantastic. I don't think anybody plays with red herrings anymore. The game's too fast for it. Red herrings is too slow now. I, don't, I mean, it's still five though, right? I mean, I still want to make the runner pay five to trash something, right? I don't know. Well, I mean, you you could run it and toss it on R and D. The thing is, you're either playing tagging back, which what? Who cares? He can have an agenda, or you're playing fast advance, which is. Who cares? There's no agendas in that data for it. So. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. Well, which is why I think the 
the more commonly played protector upgrades are are Ash and Corporate Troubleshooter. Right. Which uh does anybody have a third corporate troubleshooter right now? <laughs> I do. Uh, that that is for my decks. <laughs> but then if you are letting yourself put them in there right the best non-operation economy is still probably Adonis which is HB and NBN has Jackson Howard. So uh, you know there are some some definitely uh, solid things o- over there. HB, if you're, you want to do fast advance, that biotic labor is still nothing to sneeze at. Green level clearance, although that is not necessarily just a uh, HB card, obviously. No, it's a Wayland card, right? Yeah. But those factions really still have a lot of sexy cards when you sit down to look at them. And then in the agendas, like Astroscript pilot program, that's fantastic. Oh, I love that one, yes. Project Beal. Yeah. And that's the kind of stuff, right, you can't mix around with that. So, you know, you've got a couple of extremely good three-for-twos right there to start your, or at least three-for-twos, right? I mean, that's the point of Beal being that I can have this two-point agenda that if I'm actually at a point in the game where I can keep the runner out, hey, maybe it could be a five-point agenda. Who knows? So I think that NBN not tag and bag is actually quite reasonable. I I think you can definitely do something good with that. Right. I mean, I'll be playing it anyway, but... Like I said, the one that was more... Surprising to me was the Wayland not tag and bag. There was uh, apparently one that was played in Manchester that went undefeated. That was just a super server deck. Wayland or the? Uh, yeah, it was Wayland. The Great Wall of Wayland. They do have a lot of great walls. And it's actually off of the because we built it, which is the um, is the free upgrade every turn identity. Yeah, give me give me a free credit every turn. So, I think there's been a general... Here's another thing to to smack your wizard around. Not just Wayland for the non-asset-based economy, but I think that there is less asset-based economy generally because of uh, Gila Hand's arcology. Yeah. So, when you see H- HB, which was who's got lots of options for asset-based economy popping over to that might be uh, depressing for, for Wizard, or or you see things where it's just like, oh, Melange and Marked Accounts. Well, those weren't really that expensive to pop anyway. <laughs> yeah. But you, you do still see some that are using, like, um, you'll still see a pad campaign. Uh, you'll still see, yes, Adonis doesn't cost much, but it still costs something. Your pad campaign is one that seems to have mostly fallen off the face of the earth, is from what I can tell. You'll see it every once in a while. It seems like it's a decent little boost. Well, yeah, but that's not what you're getting excited about. I guess there's a a reason why the Anarch decks are, especially now that Jackson Howard is out there and reduces the possibility of just getting like a statistical win by milling enough cards, or as much of a possibility of getting a statistical win by just milling cards. Their set of cards is just not as obvious. Like, again, you know, 
like I'm talking about, like, look at just the rawly powerful cards. Obviously, there's an awful lot more that goes into deck building than just looking at cards in isolation. But, right, as as you would expect to see, you see lots and lots of criminal op- uh, criminal events that are, wow, that is amazing. And you see lots and lots of shaper stuff that, you know, either programs or hardware or, or resources. That's, wow, that's fantastic. And then you look at the Anarchs, and you're like, Data Sucker's pretty awesome. <laughs> yeah, what was it? There's a couple of viruses I could just splash over into some other faction, right? Stim, Stimhack still gets played. Even Stimhack I've, I, Stimhack, I think, gets played a lot less. It gets played some, but I think it gets played a lot less because the runner has a lot of options for economy now, and people don't feel like they need the, the Stimhack... Whereas before it would get run as a two or three of, I, I think it gets run a lot more as a like a one of, just for you know either that really early or you know it can just give you a server out of nowhere. Yeah, and well, and hopefully a, a server you win because people playing Scorched Earth, I mean, you knowing for sure that like a third of the field is Scorched Earth is uh... right. Salivate over the brain damage. Yeah. I'm sure it's really, yeah, like I said, it's going to be a situational use. It's, you know, I tapped out all my stuff to get into the server. Now I'm showing no credits. So you're going to go ahead and drop your agenda and advance it a couple times, thinking you've got a little bit of time, and then Stimhack potentially let you get into that server. But it's not going to be the two or three of that it was before, and especially since Personal Workshop is nowhere anymore. I mean, that was what it was used with a lot, obviously, was the Personal Workshop. Do you think that there is any value? I mean, if you're, is there any value in looking at something like Moresh bodysuit, or is that just just not enough compared to to Plascrete? Oh, oh, okay. Well, just the the big advantage of Plascrete is that it, uh, well, because the Moresh is criminal, isn't it? It is. Yes, the Moresh yes. does eat up faction if you're not criminal. So I think that's a big reason why people have gone Plascrete. Well, I mean, I, th- I think the main reason that you don't see Moresh getting a lot of play is that's not how you take meat damage, that's how you take net damage, is slowly recur- recurring every turn. That's net damage. Meat damage, you just take one giant wallop of, uh, so Plascrete is better defense. They usually have to scorch you, in- unless you, you know, mess up. Mm-hmm. They, they're usually going to have to scorch you twice anyway. So, although I guess if they're scorching you twice in the same, that, that's the problem. If they scorch you like twice in the same turn, then yeah, the Moresh yeah. isn't. I guess it's it's just that it's too inefficient card wise. I mean, you're like cred wise, you're paying the same sort of thing, but there's a reasonable chance that you're going to be playing a card and a cred and a click just to prevent one meat damage. And I guess that's not enough. But someday. The Moresh bodysuit's time will come someday. Well, I will say that because I was looking through all of the tag and bag to see exactly how they're tagging. Because that's one of the big things. If they can't get a tag on you, they can't do anything to you. It seems like a lot of these decks I'm looking through, at least the ones that won, they're running like one sea source. Because I mean, you can't afford very many of them. Yeah. I'm surprised I don't see more of the um. The avoidance, specifically the uh, the criminal one that just says, you know, I pop I pop this and I don't take a tag. Decoy. Yeah, decoy. Because ostensibly, if you know that you if you if you're playing against Wayland 
and you don't know whether or not they're tagging bag yet or not, you're still going to play cautiously and make sure to remove any tags that you get, unless unless you're about to get scorched earth next turn. Mm. So they have to tag you on their turn, which basically gives them either Data Raven or Sea Source. And Data Raven, you can you should be able to play around. So then they have Sea Source, and then Sea Source. It's a, a matter of you know, a lot of times you can't stop them from getting the tag. If they've got enough credits, you can't stop it. But I think decoy is the only thing that just says, "Okay, I stop this." Other than the one that says, no, uh, "Stop that." Yeah, well, that one and the other one that says, "Stop this trace, restart it as a zero. Mm. Because that has other uses too. Because NBN will tag you and then you know do closed accounts to really slow you down. Um, yeah, I would think that stopping tags would be as efficient, if not more efficient, of a way of metting both of those things, but I guess not, because no one's no one's running that. Well, it, it's one thing. It, decoy is good against seesaws, but yeah. the problem with something like Data Raven or Shadow is that usually that's going to end up somewhere that you need to run more than once, and so if there's a Data Raven on R&D... And you run an R and D, and you it's gonna tag you, and it gets one power counter, and they're gonna get tag you, and you get uh, and you decoy it once. Well, you know you gotta run on it again <laughs> if you think you're gonna win. So that right there maybe didn't buy you that much. It's not the same kind of repeat stopper. You sort of it. Decoy is ideal for getting sea source, and then you know you want something that's more repeat use for getting rid of the the ones that might come on your turn. Although Data Raven is both repeat and on their turn, right? So plus they can give you multiple tags at once, or I I don't know. It may just be like a losing battle at that point to try to. Expand because I mean decoy is certainly something that I have used in in criminal, but I, I think a lot of times people like for criminal, it, you know, your meta is just I suck up all your credits. Now you can't afford to play <laughs> two scorched, and as long as you're only playing one scorched, I can make sure that my hand size is big enough. And I guess you could go the other way with that. You could, I mean, if you're playing Shaper, you could make sure to load up on Link. Well, looking through, like, the Gabe, Gabe, uh, the Gabe that won, uh, Philip Damala, that, uh, won Manchester, he actually is only running Plastic. He is not running the other. He's not running any avoidance. That's, like, his only. Yeah. No, no, nobody's running any avoidance. I, I don't think I have seen any successful deck list recently running avoidance anymore. Uh, and the Andy is also, I mean, Katie Jones is her only resource. Or the deck's only resource, his only resource. Yeah. I mean, and you may just have to do that. I mean, we're sitting here, again, we're small sample size. It may be that we're obviously tag and bag is out there, but maybe this is overstating the the overall success. I mean, I don't know how many tag and bags there were in the top eights beyond the, the winners, but I think you go with your Plascrete, which... You know, you are going with. Uh. <laughs> right. Well, I mean, even if you look at, I think if you look at um, Toronto, Kaiwen Zhang, I'm probably mispronouncing that, uh, he went 9-1, and one, and one of his was the, the tag and bag. 
No, no, yeah, yeah. So, so I mean, obviously, it can do very, very. It can perform very, very. No, well no, it is. You. Well, like, like I said, if you, I do think that if you're, if you were just sitting down and you're like, I'm not sure really what I want to play. What, what is the the corp deck that gives me the best shot of top aiding? I think you play Wayland's Tagen Bag. If everybody thinks that the runner has too much of an econ advantage now and advances the game to stage three too quickly. And tag and bag is what lets you avoid that. Tag and bag. There you go. Yeah. Well, I think NBN fast advance is actually fairly autopilot as well because it only has to react to the runner so much. Well, I wasn't even thinking about play skill, like whether or not it was easy to run, but just as it's not good to avoid stage three if you're the corp because it's more difficult. And it's more skill testing to play in stage three. It's because stage three means you're losing. Right. The, well, the doesn't mean you're losing. It's the runner has significant advantage in stage three that it's, it's stopped becoming a question of can you keep them out? And it's more a question of can you keep them from running every turn? And that's when they uh, laugh and throw their R&D interfaces down and then... Right. <laughs> Pretty much. You know what you're going to do. But that is our ramblings on the state of Netrunner going into our plugged-in event. We're recording this on Sunday, October 13th, so hopefully not too much will happen between now and when this episode goes up. This is Chris popping in from a few days after that recording because, of course, Fantasy Flight did post the results for another Six tournaments, three on the East Coast, three in the Pacific Northwest. Those six tournaments were Maryland, won by David Gearhart with Andromeda and Wayland Tagenbag. Northfield, New Jersey, won by Kyle Walker with Wizard and HB. West Berlin, New Jersey, won by Benjamin Mason with Andromeda and NBN. Oregon, plugged-in event, won by Alex Rockwell, who is Alex Frog the well-known strategist on BGG, who won with Andromeda and NBN. The Redmond event was won by Riley Scott with Gabe and Wayland Tag and Bag. And the Seattle event was won by Anthony Giovanetti with Andromeda and NBN. And now back to your regularly scheduled past people. Sounds like my compatriots may have relatively honed in on their their decks, but I... uh... I think that there's a, a lot going out there. I, seems reasonably likely. I'm I'm kind of sick of playing criminal, and I don't really want to switch to anarch. So I think there's a pretty good chance I'm going to end up with a shaper, with the shaper yeah. deck. Like by process of elimination, <laughs> you win fifty percent of the other field, uh, uh, the rest of the field. I mean, that's the other thing is shaper. That's what half of the identities right now. Yeah. Which I've also heard suggested as a reason to not vote for the collective. Like, do we really need another shape right now? Although this isn't coming out until either Fisk or the collective doesn't come out through the third cycle. So there will be a, we'll have a whole cycle and another deluxe expansion between us and when they might first come out. Right. And, and presumably it's not like you're sniping a, a spot that if the collective gets chosen, there'll still be a criminal identity in that cycle and vice versa. So, yeah, I don't know. They are both pretty cool looking. It would be nice. Mm. It would be nice to get the play mat. I say that as if 
I use playmats. I still have my I, I still have my Netrunner and Star Wars regional playmats. They're kind of I kind of meant to eBay those because I don't use playmats, but I didn't. It's probably too late. No one would care anymore. Oh well. Anyhow, that is enough Netrunner chatter for today. We do look forward to seeing as many of you as possible at the Atlanta Plugged In Tour tournament on October 27th. Until then, for J. Earl and Mike Cook, I'm Chris Stevenson, and you've been listening to Strange Assembly. In the meantime, feel free to come by and visit us at strangeassembly.com, or you can email me directly at chris at strangeassembly.com. You can also hit us up on facebook.com slash strangeassembly or at strangeassembly on Twitter. You can subscribe to the Strange Assembly podcast directly from our website or by visiting us in the iTunes store. Until then, never stop gaming.